Welcome to the Five Freedom Show. My name is William Wood. And my name is Christian Vesterfeld. And we're here to help you find the freedom that you've long deserved. We believe that there are five basic freedoms that every human being deserves. We believe that these five freedoms can be cultivated. We're here to entertain you. We're here to inform you. We're here to help you take your life to the next level. So if you're ready to have some fun, if you're ready to learn something new, then go ahead and crank up the volume because we're ready to rock and roll. When I was a kid, when I heard the word meditation, it instantly conjured up images of some mystic sitting on the top of a cold Tibetan mountain, sitting in an uncomfortable posture as his consciousness soared to unexplainable and ineffable dimensions. It turns out that I was wrong. Later on, I thought when I especially when I started meditating, I thought that meditation had everything to do with totally clearing your mind and having an empty mind, having no thought. And while I can say that after years of meditation, there have been moments of deep mind silence, most of the time that is not my experience in meditating. And so if you're starting a meditation practice, there are a few things that will really help you out. This week I got questions from two clients. Well, really, I guess it was more of a statement. The statement was by one of them, I feel like I have ADD. Every time I sit to meditate, it's like my mind just goes in a million different directions and it won't stop commenting, it won't stop fantasizing, it won't stop taking trips into the future and the past. And the other client said, I'm going to give up on meditation because I just can't keep my mind blank. In both those comments, there's this underlying assumption that meditation, or the purpose behind meditation, is to have an empty mind. And what I'd like to talk about for just a, a couple of minutes today is I'd like to talk about what meditation actually is and how it's very, very much in your reach, even if you have a squirrel-chasing, shiny object, pointing brain, right? Like most of America, and really most of the world has. It's what brains do. But meditation is the art of really deeply studying how it is that your mind wanders the purpose of meditation is not to alter your state. It is not to achieve some mystical, magical, detached state where you're one with everything. Now, if that happens, that's like a super cool side effect of having meditated, but it's not really what meditation is all about. The first thing that I noticed when I started meditating several years ago is that while I was sitting or lying down, and I probably do an equal amount of both when I meditate. That the very first thing that happens when you become very, very still in your body is that you start to notice all the things that your mind is actually doing. I, I really wasn't even aware that I had any self-talk 
in my head at all. Now that's not because it wasn't there, it's because I was totally unaware that it had been going on. I had felt a baseline pressure and anxiety in my chest for years and years and years, but would explain it away or just kind of thought that's the way that it was. Well, it wasn't until I got really still several years ago in my first round of meditation that I started to realize that my thoughts were always running and that this pressure in my chest had been there so long that it felt like it was part of me, even though it wasn't. And so if you want to meditate, don't think of it as an exercise in clearing your mind or having no thoughts or achieving some mystical, magical, altered, non-drug-induced, drug-like state. Think of it instead as just becoming fully aware of what it is that your mind and emotions are doing. It is a way of studying deeply the responses that your mind and your heart give you and over time also allows you to soften those responses. In fact, meditation is probably one of the most powerful ways that I know to systematically, very, very consistently produce the result of softening old emotional and thought patterns. Because interestingly enough, the more you observe them and the more you watch them, the less control they start to have over you. So let's talk about just some how of meditation. The how of meditation involves directing your attention or your awareness to something internal or external. Now, my preferred method for doing that is to focus the attention on the breath. And so when I focus my attention on my breath or my breathing, I will pay attention to one formal aspect of the breath. Couple different points where you might pay attention. You might pay attention to the feeling of the breath sensation at the nostril if you're breathing in and out of your nose. You might pay attention to the way that the air feels against the nostrils as you breathe in and breathe out. You notice the moisture, you notice the warmth, you notice the coolness, or whatever other sensations are there. Another place where you can direct your attention is you can direct your attention at the feeling of the lungs expanding and releasing. Another way to pay attention to the breath is to pay attention to the points where the breath turns. At the top of the breath, there's a point where you stop inhaling, there's a short pause, and then you exhale. And if you really pay attention, there's this interesting sensation that happens as you breathe in right at the top of the breath. Also at the bottom of the breath, there's this moment where you're exhaling and then the exhaling stops. And then the breath turns from an exhale to an inhale. And those are some of the common ways to pay attention to the breath. They're not the only ways to do it, but some of the more common ones. Now, some people think that because they're paying attention to one thing, that that's the purpose of meditation. It's just only to be aware of the breath and to be aware of nothing else. But the reality is, is that that just doesn't happen, at least not in the beginning, for sure, and maybe not ever. But as we focus our attention, it begins the process of exposing 
the ways that our mind and our heart distract our attention. Now, this is really, really important to know. Why? Because this is the same process that we use to create our own problems in life. For example, if I'm sitting there listening to my wife and she's talking to me, my brain is probably going to do about the same things while I'm listening to her as it is while I'm meditating. Once I become aware of what my brain is doing, I can start the process of recentering my attention more quickly. So in other words, learning to pay attention in one context exercises the muscles that you need to sustain attention in other contexts, even if what you're doing to sustain your attention is to simply reorient your attention. Or maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm experiencing some level of anxiety. Because I've spent the hours meditating, watching how my mind creates images, creates sensations, and creates feelings, I can start to pull apart the feeling of anxiety that has resided inside of me. So there's this interplay of three things that come up as you meditate. And I recommend for meditation, at least in the beginning, that you practice becoming very, very still when you meditate. Now this is not necessary for every form of meditation. There's some forms of meditation that involve movement. There's walking meditations, there's eating meditations, there's meditations that focus in on textures, you know, where you rub your hand up against something. There's couples meditations where you might cuddle or hold hands or breathe together and become aware of the movement of breath, uh, etc. You know, hand movements, whatever it happens to be. But I recommend that you, you experiment with becoming still because that eliminates one of the one or two of the things that can that can throw you off in the beginning at least. So first things first, you want to find a quiet, comfortable place to sit or lie down. Once you're sitting or lying down, you want to focus your attention on something internal or external. Again, I choose the breath. And then notice as you're breathing or as you're focusing in on some external object, notice how your mind and your heart distract you. Notice how your mind and heart wander. It's not really if it's going to happen. The question is, is will it happen more or less? And in the beginning, I can honestly say that about 95% of the time, my mind was somewhere else besides where I was, which means I wasn't even really living my life. I was living out of my head. And I find that that's the thing for most of my clients too. So here's the first thing that can come up. Your thoughts can distract you. Now, thoughts can take many, many forms. The most common ones that come up for me are checklists. It's where you start thinking, well, I got to do this first and this second, and I got this project, and here are three things I got to do, and here's the two places I got to pick up my kids later today, and on and on and on. So a list is one common thing that my brain does, but, but yours does too. Second thing that my, my mind does is my mind 
will create little fantasies. These could be daydreams. These could be some sort of imaginary responses, some sort of little mini waking dream of some kind. Could be any number of things, but little fantasies. Fantasies about things that are real, fantasies about things that are, that are false. The next one is memories, memories from the past. Uh, most often, I notice that now my, my memories revolve around the recent past. So I'm thinking about something I did earlier today or earlier last week. Maybe my mind's reviewing, planning, plotting, you know, rehashing, going through an old conversation one more time. The other thing that my mind will do is it will, it will go into the future. So instead of going into the past, it'll go and think about you know, maybe something that might happen later this week, later this month, something I have planned, something that's on the calendar. And I'm either mentally rehearsing it or visualizing how it might go, and on and on and on. So those are probably the most common ones. I guess there's another category, and that's what I would call the inner commentator. And I do probably have less of this than most people do, but it definitely is there. And the more anxious, the more tired, the more stressed I am, the more prominent that, uh, that feature is. But the inner commentator is that inner voice that just comments on everything. And for a lot of people, this is like an internal radio show that never turns off. It's just going 24 hours a day. It's like radio nonstop thinking, which is what one meditation teacher called it. And it just goes and goes and goes and goes and doesn't really stop. So that's what your mind does in terms of thought. But thoughts are not the only things that happen. Emotions also arise. Oftentimes, your emotions will be a direct result of some thought you're thinking, whether it's something you're visualizing or something that you're commenting on. But not always. Sometimes these emotions just kind of jump out at you from the middle of nowhere. And the, it could be different things that come up. Could be anxiety, could be stress, could be boredom, especially if you've done a lot of meditation. Boredom is a real common one that comes up. Could be restlessness, could be shame, could be any number of things. And if you sit long enough, you probably will notice that all of these things go through your head from time to time. And you'll also notice that, uh, that not only will they go through your, your head, they'll go through your heart. And sometimes they'll be very mild and fleeting, and sometimes they'll be very powerful and overwhelming, and they'll hang out for a while. And not only the bad emotions, but the good ones. One of the most interesting early experiences I had the, within four or five times of meditating, I experienced this deep sense of bliss. Not for the entire meditation time, but for a period of 20 minutes or 15 minutes. And just waves of bliss after waves of bliss after waves of bliss. It wasn't a permanent fixture. It did last for 20 or 30 minutes after I meditated. And it's probably one of the things that encouraged me to go on early on. Um, I am grateful that I had that experience. Not everybody does, not that early on. But even if you don't, I would encourage you to press on. So you can have emotions surge, positive or negative emotions. The third thing is sensations. And, and sensations come up whether you're moving or whether you're still. 
if you're moving, there's going to be a lot more sensation. If you're walking, as you do your meditation, there's going to be the feeling of the ground against your feet. There's going to be the feeling of your body as it's moving. But other sensations come up if you stand still. For example, or see if you sit still, standing is fine too. If you sit still long enough, there's a good chance that at some point your bum's going to get a little sore. And you'll feel that sensation of the ground against you. And these sensations will distract you. Pleasant sensations will distract you and not so pleasant sensations will distract you. The, f the first time I really sat for a very, very long time, I talk about this in another podcast, I experienced intense itching sensations and I experienced incredibly intense back pain by about the fifth or sixth hour. Now these are just sensations. And the question is, is that even when you're thinking, even when you're feeling, even when your body is generating a sensation, whether it's positive or negative, can you hold your attention in the present moment? Can you be here now regardless of what comes up? Now, for a lot of people, they, they get the idea in theory. I'm exercising my attention muscles. I'm exercising my ability to be present with easy things and with hard things. And they inherently get the value in that. It's like, oh, I'm learning how to actually live the life that I'm living, to be here and to be present. That's the goal of meditation, not to have some mystical, magical experience and not to have no thought. It is to be here with whatever is. And for most of us, we spend our entire life somewhere else. Our mind takes us into the future with our thoughts. Our mind takes us into the past. Our mind rehearses, rehashes plans and plots and schemes. And we're not present to everything that is right here, right now. And then we start to form stories about what's happening. You see, there's almost an infinite data set in front of you to choose from. Every second of your life, you are bombarded with more than a billion bits of data by one researcher's estimation through your five senses. The colors you see, the sounds you hear, the feelings you feel, it's overwhelming. There's so much there that in any given moment, you're experiencing more than you could ever really process. But then we delete some of it. We change some of it or we distort it. We make generalizations about what's there and we selectively choose among all the things that we are perceiving and we begin to form a story about what is. 